I'll go home as a beggar and ever be your wife. He kissed her and hugged. Hi, I'm Mary. And I'm Katie, and this is The Housewife Did It. True crime edition. So we are going to start with some real-time true crime. Ooh. That's what I have decided to name that segment. Nice. <laughs> um, so I have three real-time updates. Um, so first, Rudolph Rudy Farias, um, who went missing from Houston, Texas in March of 2015, when he was 17 years old, has been found. So Rudy went missing on March 6th, 2015, while he was out walking his dogs. He was reported missing after the dogs were found, but he was not. It was unclear at the time, and still is, whether or not he left voluntarily, as he had been struggling with depression after losing his brother in a motorcycle accident. But this week, he was found unresponsive but alive outside of a church. Mm-hmm. He had cuts and bruises all over his body and what his mom notes as potential evidence of abuse. Was this Rudy still in is... Houston? Do we know? I think so. Okay. Because his, his parents were there very quickly. Oh, okay. He is 25 now that he has been found. I do not have like a GoFundMe, but Rudy's family has very specifically asked for prayers, thoughts, good vibes to be sent their way as he recovers and as they try to figure out what he's been through in mm-hmm. the years since he's been missing. Wow. Yeah. Next one, I did, I thought that was going I thought that was crazy. Mhm. Next one, crazier. Oh. This is one our dad sent in and I think he wants us to fully cover it. Mm. But I'm going to give it as a quick update because it has a quick update. So, a Brazilian woman named Margarita Benetti has been revealed to be the wife of Rene Benetti, who in the year 2000 was sentenced for keeping his Brazilian housekeeper enslaved in his home for nearly two decades. Hmm. At the time, Margarita had been indicted alongside her husband for having beaten and tormented her housekeeper for years before a neighbor helped the housekeeper to escape in 1998. However, Margarita fled to Brazil, and it's now uncovered that she has been hiding in a dilapidated home, seemingly disguising herself by covering her face in some sort of white cream or paint and wrapping her hair in headscarves. She has scared local children to the degree where they refer to her as the witch. Well, yeah, she got a green paint now, on her face. White paint. You said, oh, white or cream. Cream, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, now that her identity has been revealed, a lot of attention has been drawn to her house. There are a lot of people out there. But she claims that she intends to stay there permanently because Brazilian laws protect her from extradition. Okay, I was going to say how she admitted who she is, but yeah, I guess so. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last update I have. Smallville actress Allison Mack, who recruited women to a cult that I could not pronounce the name of if I tried, was released from federal prison after serving two years out of her three-year sentence um, after she has helped prosecutors convict the cult leader of sex trafficking and other crimes. So in exchange for that, she has been released. I guess that's great, but three years was all she even got? originally for, for recruiting, recruiting i guess 
But I also think she was in the cult. Mm. So, you know. Yeah. I don't know. So, as promised, I have a story to tell you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, With a little bit of everything. That's why you're here. (laughs) Yeah. It's got a survivor. It's got a murder. It's got torture. It's got someone who would have been a serial killer. It's got the system doing the wrong thing. And it's got a happy ending. Sort of. So, we're gonna get started. Again, I'm gonna start with a content warning. I try to mention it as briefly as I can, but there will be mentions of sexual assault in this case. Um, And with that, I will get started. So, Mary Vincent was born in 1963 and was one of seven children. She grew up in Las Vegas, where her mother worked as a blackjack dealer, and her father, a former member of the military, worked a job as a mechanic. Mary was notably a great dancer and often referred to herself as a tinkerer. Like, oh, like just tinkered with things. Like being able to like tinker with like building and electronics and stuff. Okay. So in 1997, so this is well after the events that I'm going to tell you about tonight. She was quoted as saying, I'd have been lead dancer at the Lido de Paris in Las Vegas, then Hawaii and Australia. I'm serious. I was really good on my feet. Mm. So she was like, she, she was good and she knew it. But in 1978, 15-year-old Mary's parents began going through a pretty rough divorce. In the height of the mess and the fallout from her parents' split, Mary ran away from their home and began living on the street with her boyfriend. They bounced around Berkeley, California, finding shelter in unlocked cars and basically anywhere they could comfortably stay for a night. But in September of 1978, her boyfriend was arrested for raping a teenage girl. Okay. And she's... I was going to say, isn't she a teenage girl? She is. It was a different teenage girl. Okay. How old is he? I... I do not know. Okay. Not teenage. Um, I'm assuming at least old enough to drive. Okay. Because they got from Las Vegas. I mean, oh, yeah. so it's not necessarily, like, a statutory charge. Like, he committed a rape, no matter his age. Yeah, he raped. Like, he okay. violently raped. Okay. Um, so, after this, there needed to be a change mm-hmm. in the way Mary was living. Not just, like, personally she felt that, but, like, there was nothing else she could do. She had to find something else, some other way to live. Mm-hmm. So, she decided her to hitchhike her way to Corona, California, to see if she'd be able to stay with her grandfather. In her interview for the I Survived series, Mary points out how common hitchhiking was at the time and that when she was out on the side of the road trying to find someone to give her a ride, there were typically several other people doing the same thing. And this is where our story really begins. Okay. So like I said, I assume her boyfriend was old enough to drive, but it's possible he wasn't because they were doing a lot of hitchhiking anyway. So Um, On September 29th, 1978, Mary was standing on the side of the road, thumb in the air, hoping for someone to pull over and give her a ride. Um, I found differing accounts here. So I'm going to give you like two explanations of what she was doing slash where she was going before giving you the facts of what happened. So some sources say that Mary was leaving her grandfather's house and hitchhiking back to Las Vegas because she was homesick. Mm. Others say... That she was going to her grandfather's house for the first time. Okay. It doesn't really matter. That's not, like, confirmable by the direction she was going? I don't know, because 
she so her grandfather lived in a different part of California than the part she was in. Mm -hmm. So it is possible that it was kind of in the same direction as Nevada. Mm, from got it, got was. it. I don't know. It doesn't really matter where she was going. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things. So, like I said, it doesn't really matter where she was going. I've seen more accounts saying she was going to her grandfather's house for the first time, but I've seen both. So, what we do know, though, is that Mary was unable to take herself to her desired location, so she was stuck attempting to hitchhike her way to wherever she was going. On this day, she was waiting on the side of the road with a couple of other prospective hitchhikers when a 50-year-old man in a van pulled over. All of the young people began to approach the van when the man inside the van spoke up and told them he only had room for Mary and that the rest of them would need to continue waiting for another ride. Okay. So. I'm assuming he did not call her by name. No, he's like, I only have room for her. Okay. So the other hitchhikers, I think he's, she said there were two others, they like looked through the window and they were like, that van is completely empty, excluding the driver. Mm-hmm. And they told her that if he was only willing to take a 15-year-old girl, something seemed off. Mm-hmm. Because there was definitely room for everyone. Yeah. So they encouraged Mary not to get in the van with him, but she said that when she looked at him, she saw a friendly grandfather type that made her feel safe. So she climbed in the van. Okay. After climbing into the van, Mary said she began to feel overwhelmed and tired from all she'd been dealing with recently. Like, her boyfriend just went to jail. Yeah. Her parents are getting a divorce. So she was just, like, really tired and dealing with a lot. She also noted that at this point, she sneezed. And her driver looked over and asked if she was feeling sick. And then he offered to see if she felt feverish. But the way he did it was by putting his hand around her neck. And this was Mary's first red flag. That she may have been in danger, but he quickly removed his hand. It was She was like, I, he just touched temperatures in a weird way, I guess. <gasps> like, it was weird, also, but it was very short-lived. A sneeze? So she kind of got over it. A sneeze makes you check my temperature at all? Yeah. People sneeze. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, that should be her red flag, that, like, people sneeze when they're well all the time. Yeah. So Mary fell asleep. She was like, it was weird, but she, like, wrote it off. She's like, he was just being nice. He just, he's just kind of weird. He's an old man. Mm-hmm. Further into the ride, when Mary woke up, she could tell they were traveling in the wrong direction. So worst case scenarios start playing out in her head of what this driver was thinking, what he was preparing to do. So she like leaned over in the passenger seat of the van and she found a sharp stick on the floorboard. Okay. So she shot up and she pointed the stick at the driver (gasps) and demanded that he turn around and head back in the direction he had promised her. He very quickly told Mary that he was just an honest man who made an honest mistake. He immediately turned around and began driving back in the right direction. Hmm. So, she was like, maybe I overreacted. After heading back in the right direction for a bit, the driver told Mary that he needed to pull over and use the restroom. So, they pulled over to the side of the road, and he walked off to go to the bathroom. Like, into the woods? Uh, there were no woods... But like, but not like a not like a truck stop. Like it was like just no, outside. Yeah. They were okay. like on the side of the road. He like walked off into the distance to use the bathroom, so no one would see him. Mary also got out of the van and she started stretching her legs. She had been asleep in the car for a really long time. They had gotten all disoriented. She needed to stretch her legs, and she noticed at this time that her shoe was untied. 
but still like with a little bit of a red flag in the back of her mind she was like if i'm going to have to outrun this man i need my shoe tied right yes yeah so she leans over to tie her shoe and as she is tying her shoe the man comes back up behind her and hits her over the head with a sledgehammer he just took a sledgehammer on his pee break she didn't notice i think he came back when she was bent over okay she lost consciousness and when she woke up again she had been dragged to the back of the van and tied up okay so according to mary the man began to rape her at this time she tried to so scream. is the van are they just still parked in the same spot yes okay. now they're in the back of the van okay she tried to scream and he told her that if she continued to scream he would kill her so eventually she just lay there silently and she says that the assaults continued all through the night and did not stop until the sun came up so the next day sun comes up and mary begs him to let her go she begs him to put her out of her misery she begs him to just set her free she says like anything she can to Mm -hmm. get out of here like i won't tell anyone just do anything so that i don't have to live with this anymore Mm-hmm. So he looked down at her and he says, you want to be free? I'll set you free. He walked away and returned oh. with a hatchet. Okay. He swung the hatchet down on her left arm, severing it below the elbow. She watches as her arm hits the ground Good after God. one swing. Oh. Then he began to hack away at her right arm in the same spot. But that time it wasn't like one... Throughout this entire ordeal, Mary is awake and alert. She also noted that her right right arm seemed to be more of a problem for her attacker, Mm -hmm. and he had to hit it several times before it was completely severed. She says that she was awake through all this, but, like, also in shock. So Mm -hmm. she was like, she said, I knew I had grabbed his right arm, or grabbed onto his arm with my right arm. He's hacking away at my arm, and I suddenly feel myself falling backwards. Mm. And I don't understand how I have fallen backwards when I'm holding on to him. So, at this point, both of her arms are gone. Jeez. She looks up and sees him flicking his arm back and forth, and she realizes that her right hand is still wrapped around his arm. Her fingers had been wrapped so tightly around his arm that he could not shake it off of his arm. Mm, and I wonder if that made it harder. Like, that's why it was harder. You know, like, a tense arm would be harder to yeah. get through, I would think. Yeah. So, then he leans down, he looks at her, and he says, Okay, now you're free. What does that mean? Like, the, she can the, go now? No, he. I think he thinks this is about to be over. Oh, like she's about to bleed out? Yes. So, again, after all of this... Mary is conscious. Mm -hmm. She knows everything that has happened to her, but she goes limp. Okay. She is out of energy. She cannot continue fighting, and he thinks she's dead. Okay. And already has successfully gotten rid of her fingerprints. Is this his first? Yeah, I was gonna say, is this his first murder? Then, do we think? Do we think? Yeah. No. Okay. Um, so everyone else he's killed, he just evidence? chops off a limb, and they just fucking keel over and die? Yeah. So, again, he thinks she's dead. He thinks he's gotten rid of her fingerprints. So he throws her off a cliff. So okay. even if she's not dead, 
He's like, surely now. She fell 30 feet and landed in a concrete culvert. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I thought you were going to say like a bush. No. no concrete. concrete culvert. She was naked, tired, bleeding, in a lot of pain, but she was still alive. Wow. She would later learn that she had broken three of her ribs in this fall. Mm-hmm. She very badly wanted to fall asleep, but she knew that if she did, she might not wake back up. So instead, she crawled up and over to the edge of the culvert, and she began packing the ends of her arms with mud so that she could stop the bleeding. Mary, you're a she's genius. 15. She's 15. But that's freaking me out, girl. I know. So then she so she gets her arms packed with the mud so they stop bleeding, and she holds them upright yeah. to so that they won't bleed again. Um, she stands up, she climbs back out of the cliff, and she finds her way to a, I cannot say this word, rural road. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like a hard word. <laughs> I, just too many R's. Rural. Rural. The problem is actually that I think I can say that word, it just does not sound correct. Mm. Like, that should not be what the word is, in yeah. my opinion. Anyway, so she walks along the road. She is waving as cars drive by, trying to get the attention, uh, the attention of anyone who'd be willing to give her a ride to get help. So one car drives by with two men inside. But as soon as they see Mary's condition, they quickly drive away. And again, on the I Survived episode that she's a part of, she says, like, I cannot blame them for mm -hmm. not stopping for me because imagine how scary she must have looked mm. she was completely naked she was covered in blood she was missing both of her forearms and they had mud all over them so she continued walking and waving and finally another car approached it was a young couple on their honeymoon and once mary was able to tell them her story they quickly drove her to the hospital for care Mary underwent life-saving surgery where they took parts of her leg to save her right arm. And eventually she went to physical therapy and began to use prosthetic arms. Like within two weeks of this, she was using prosthetic arms successfully. That's crazy. Also, girl, you are giving them too much credit. Like if a naked, bloody, armless girl is walking down the street waving to me, she's clearly needing something. Yeah. Jesus. I, the only thing I could think is maybe, like, if she's trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, that maybe they thought she was, like, a ghost or, like, a cryptid or something. Oh. Like, they're like, I'm not messing with that shit. I'm hallucinating. Uh, yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> but she also refused to sleep when she first got to the hospital until she had finished working on a composite sketch mm. with, like, a type artist that would later help the investigators identify the man who had left her for dead. So, he survived. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm. That is not the end of the story. Yeah. I was gonna say this at the top of the episode and I forgot, but I feel like as, like, I get more comfortable with this podcast, I'm, like, more willing to tell, like, I guess darker stories. Mm -hmm. Or at least, like, stories with more graphic details. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, also, I really like the story because, like, how amazing mm -hmm. is she? Yeah. 15 years old. Yeah. Did she, do we know, like, did she go back to her parents? Like, where did she? 
I don't know. It may be in here, but I don't remember. But I am going to give, like, an update on her life at the end. Okay. Yay, Um, Mary! Yes. Six months later, Mary would sit in a courtroom to testify against the man who had attacked her, 50-year-old Lawrence Singleton, nicknamed by the press the Mad Chopper. Just for her? Yes. Okay. So, as she walked past him to begin giving her statement in court, he leaned in and whispered, I'll finish the job if it takes me the rest of my life. How is he even close enough? Like, how, how, how? Is the 70s. Jesus Christ. (laughs) On the stand, Mary recounted the details of her attack for the jury, and they quickly found Lawrence Singleton guilty of attempted murder, rape, and other sexual crimes against Mary Vincent. He was sentenced to the maximum prison sentence allowed, which was 14 years. Mm. This, of course, garners a lot of attention because this is clearly a dangerous man. And the only reason he received this light sentence is because he attempted Mm -hmm. to murder Mary, but did not succeed. Yeah, I always think that, like, you get a lighter sentence because you failed. Like, right. And also, and also, like, there was no, you know, like, if you attempt to murder someone and you, I don't know, beat the shit out of them, but then you just, like, leave them out in public and they happen to live, but it's like, oh, you could have punched them more and they could have died. So only, only an attempted murder charge. But he, like, genuinely thought he had committed murder. Right. So it's like, for him, like, let's charge him for the crime he thought he committed. Yeah. And I know that, like, this doesn't, like, this can't really be used against him, but, like, he says to her in the courtroom that he will kill her. Yeah. He vows that to her. Yeah. Very annoying. The judge that presided over the case told the courtroom, if I had the power, I would send him to prison for the rest of his natural life. So, even the judge was like, this is some bullshit. Mm -hmm. Mary also won in a civil judgment against Singleton, where she was awarded $2.56 million, which is close to $12 million today, but was unable to ever collect it because Lawrence Singleton was unemployed, dealing with health issues, and only had $200 in his bank account. I also don't get that. Like, I don't... Yeah, how are you not... Like, any money he gets from here on out needs to go to her. Also, like... I know it do- this doesn't make sense because it's got to come from the person who committed the crime, but, like, whatever legal set- settlement that you come to, like, that money needs to come from somewhere. Like, whether that's coming yeah. from, like, the state or, like, you know. Yeah. Or oh, some. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, weird. So, even with the frustration this caused, Singleton was released after just eight years. So, he was released six years early for good behavior. Great. And for working as a teaching assistant in a prison classroom. Nice. This obviously filled Mary with fear, as he had assured her he would not rest until he had killed her. Yeah. It also filled the public with rage, and soon the Singleton Bill was drafted up, which would stop the early release of anyone who commits a crime of torture and helped raise the minimum sentence of a crime involving torture to 25 years. Nice. Which is great, yeah. Yeah. So. Is that in California then? I... This all happened in California still? Yeah. Okay. 
When he got out, Singleton had to serve a year of parole in Contra Costa County, California. However, this is my favorite part of this story. Okay. It goes downhill again from here, but this is wonderful. When authorities, when authorities tried to find a place for him to live in the Bay Area, angry crowds accompanied by a chapter of the Guardian Angels picketed this location he was supposed to live in until they had driven him away. Nice. Then, authorities tried to find a place for Singleton in Rodeo, about 25 miles northeast of San Francisco, and again, they were met with protests until officers were forced to move Singleton from his hotel under an armed guard. Nice. The same thing <clears throat> happened when he tried to move into a housing facility across from Concord City Hall. Next, they tried to move him into an apartment within the county, and when word got around that they wanted to place him there, 400 residents surrounded the building to protest, and he had to be removed in a bulletproof vest. So, good job, everyone. Not a single town in Contra Costa County would allow him to be a resident there. So instead, he had to live in a trailer at San Quentin until his parole was over. Wow! I know. <laughs> well, even when his uh, parole's over, like, they're still not going to want him anywhere near them. Yeah. Yeah. Nine years after... So the problem is he has to stay in this one county yeah. where everyone knows him. So nine years after his release, he was living in Sulphur Springs, Florida. So... Nobody knew him in Florida. Okay. It is there that he is arrested another time. Okay. This time it wasn't for the petty burglaries he had been committing, but instead what onlookers had been fearing for quite some time. Lawrence Singleton was arrested for murdering a 31-year-old mother of three named Roxanne Hayes. Mm. So now I'm going to tell you her story. Okay. Roxanne Hayes was born in either 1965 or 1966. I don't know which one. Okay. Because she is very sparsely reported on. Okay. By all accounts, um, she did not have an easy go at life, but was a hardworking, dedicated, hopeful person who gave her best to everyone she cared for. As a child, it's reported that Roxanne suffered abuse by her grandfather. After... Graduating from Hillsborough High School in 1984, Roxanne gave birth to her first child, a daughter named Akina. In June of 1986, Roxanne was charged with possession after developing an addiction to cocaine. She was released from prison, also in 1986, with a three-year-old daughter to take care of. So it was difficult for Roxanne to find a job. Um, she was able to start one job as a bookkeeper, but when her employer began to sexually harass her, she quit. Mm -hmm. Which, like, good for her. But yeah. that she couldn't find another job. Which right. sucks. Yeah. So after this job, she continued to struggle to find a place to work due to her history of incarceration. In 1988, Roxanne met Clifford Tyson at the end of East Hillsborough Avenue, where Roxanne had been working. Clifford offered to give her a ride, and she fell asleep in his car. When she woke up, they talked about her daughter and her life experiences, and Clifford offered to take her to his sister's house for a place to stay. She slept there for a couple of days, and before she knew it, the two had fallen in love. Where's her daughter while she's staying there? I think... I don't know, actually. I'm okay. not going to lie. I don't know. Okay. In 1989, Roxanne gave birth to their son, Clifton. And in 1993, she had their second son, Malachi. Okay. 
In July of 1996, Clifford was injured in a car accident that left him unable to work, and Roxanne was attempting to provide for their entire family. Throughout this time, Clifford and Roxanne's love for one another and for their children never wavered. They continued to read their children stories each night before bed, take them to the park, host birthday celebrations for them, and attend their school performances. Clifford, Roxanne's family, and their children's teachers noted just how wonderful a mother Roxanne had always been. Which, if her if her kids' teachers are, like, yeah. reaching out to news sources and being like, she rocked as a mom. Like, yeah. you know she was a good mom. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds like there was a lot to do. Like, mm-hmm. like she was balancing a lot with the three kids and yeah. everything else, so. And her life partner is, like, now on disability. Yeah. There's a lot going on. At the time of her death, Roxanne's children were 3, 7, and 11 years old. Clifford said of Roxanne, She had faith in humanity. She cherished life. She had a wild laugh. She would go into dumpsters to rescue stray kittens. She would lend money to anyone. Her children were her happiness. Her kids would never go hungry. I don't want people to perceive Roxanne in a negative light. And this was a concern for many of Roxanne's loved ones. Mm -hmm. Even Roxanne's... Or, sorry... Let me back up a little bit. They wanted just basically to make sure that Roxanne wasn't only remembered as a murdered sex worker. Yeah, or like a felon or like someone who just went, yeah. Even her court-appointed social worker was quoted as saying, I don't want her legacy to just be that of a known prostitute killed. There was a lot more to her. Mm -hmm. And to be completely honest, I would love to tell you that Roxanne was remembered for more than that. However... I have heard Mary Vincent's survival story many times Mm -hmm. on many different podcasts, TV shows, and I did not know Roxanne's name until I began writing about this case. So it was just like, Mary Vincent survived this guy and then he killed a sex worker? Like, that's the story. It was just like he killed somebody. I didn't, I had no idea what her name was, how she was killed. I didn't know any of it until I started researching it. Well, Roxanne sounds damn impressive, so. Yeah. I wrote a lot of, like, Mary's story from my own memory, but when it came to telling Roxanne's story, I, like, searched everywhere for Mm -hmm. any detailed report of her murder, and I found one article that both named her and gave a very lengthy description of her life and what had happened to her. Okay. Every other report I found on the crimes of Lawrence Singleton, Roxanne was either unnamed or very briefly mentioned, so I want to make sure that her story is just as much a part of this episode as Mary's is. So I'm going to tell you exactly what happened to her. So, like I said, I found a Medium article. This is the only article I found that was, like, worth anything for this. It was a Medium article by Rivy Lyon entitled The Untold Story of Roxanne Hayes, A Life Cut Short by the Mad Chopper Killer that seems to contain the most details, but even this article... Like, the way, kind of the way, and you'll see when I tell it, but kind of the way you have to tell the story, you have to kind of include some of the lies Lauren Singleton tells about her. Okay. Because, unfortunately, he was the only witness to the event except for Roxanne. So, here's the story to the best of my ability. On February 19th, 1997, a house painter and neighbor of Lawrence Singleton called the police after hearing screams coming from his house to let them know that... 
through the window of Singleton's home, he could see a naked man covered in blood repeatedly stabbing a woman on his living room sofa. Jesus Christ, dude. Roxanne was, to the community's knowledge, a sex worker who reportedly had been arrested 99 times for solicitation. And I don't say that in any attempt to, like, discredit her or shoot down her morality, but, like, I just want to, like, kind of give an impression of the place she's at. Yeah. That, like, she is trying to solely provide for her three Mm -hmm. children and her life partner who is on disability. And even with having been arrested for this, like, she really does not have a choice. Right. But to do whatever she can to get money for her family. Yeah. So that includes, unfortunately, having to be in the presence of Lauren Singleton. Mm -hmm. So on this night, she had agreed to meet with Singleton in his home where he intended to give her $20 in exchange for oral sex. As Roxanne was preparing to leave and catch a cab, Singleton accused her of stealing his wallet and became violent with her. And this is where the details get fuzzy. Okay. So, what I'm going to do is give you his account of events. Okay. Because there have to be, like, some truths in there in order for his story to line up with what the police found. Okay. So, But keep in mind, almost all of this is untrue. So, I'm going to tell you his account of events and then pull out these small snippets of, like, what we know for sure happened. Okay. So... According to Singleton, he was already drunk, over-medicated, and feeling depressed that night. So when he thought he saw Roxanne grab his wallet, he fought to get it back. According to Singleton, this is when Roxanne picked up a knife that he regularly kept on his living room table because he liked to watch TV while chopping vegetables to prepare for dinner. Well, he could have just said, I keep it there in case someone breaks in. He says (laughs) that... This is where he chops his vegetables for dinner each night so that he can watch TV while he does it. And so he left it there per usual and she grabbed it. He said they both struggled to gain control of the knife for about 30 seconds and that every time she had control of it, she accidentally stabbed herself. She apparently accidentally stabbed herself seven times in her face, chest, and stomach. Wow. Yeah. Not, like, accidentally sliced or cut or nicked no. herself. Like, like accidentally plunged a knife into herself. Okay. According to Singleton, Roxanne made no noise as the knife plunged into her body. Hmm. And because she made no noise, he did not realize she was injured. Until as, he looked down. As the knife went in her body, he says. Mm-hmm. He does not realize until, that is an injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until he looks down and sees her dying on his sofa. Okay, so when she fell over... She and just, she's, like, bleeding out. She was just up and fine. Now, oh, she's hurt. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah. At this time, he reports that she raised both of her arms and asked him to hold her. So he embraced her for a while. And that's why he's covered in blood? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then he realized how much she was bleeding and grabbed a phone to call 911. But when he started to dial the numbers, he realized... He had accidentally grabbed his television remote. Does he grab the phone at this point to correct his error? Of course not. He threw the remote on the floor. You stupid remote for not being a phone. (laughs) Get out of here. Remote fault. Yeah. And he tells Roxanne he will get her to the hospital. Okay. So he scooped her up and began to walk her to the door, but. He's old as shit, and his knee buckled, and they fell on the floor of his dining room. 
Hmm. He is also fat. So I imagine this was not good for the condition Roxanne was in. Finally, he says, I guess he gave up at this point because he says he sat on the floor with her, cried, rubbed her face and tried to talk to her, but he knew she was already dead. So I'm unimpressed. What we can gather from this Mm -hmm. is that there was a struggle Mm -hmm. in which Roxanne was stabbed seven times in her face, chest, and stomach, and no attempts were made to call for help or get her to help until this neighbor saw what was happening Mm -hmm. and called the police for her. So, and when they arrived, she was already dead. That's the truth that we can pull from that. Everything else is stupid. Awesome. Great. Incorrect. But he stabbed her seven times. He did not get her help. Mm -hmm. After he testified on the stand, he told the jury he was very remorseful about what had happened. Mary Vincent traveled from California to testify against Singleton once again, sharing with the Tampa jury the details of her horrific encounter with Singleton almost a decade ago. Why is he remorseful if she stabbed herself? I think I think that's how he can be remorseful because he wasn't remorseful about what happened to Mary because he wasn't able to say everything was an accident. Okay. But I think with Roxanne, he's able to put on this facade that it was not intentional that everything was an accident. He's just remorseful that like he, he couldn't save her. Happened. Okay. Yeah. Um Lawrence Singleton was at this point sentenced to death. Okay. Soon after Roxanne's murder, her daughter Akina wrote a letter in which the 11-year-old said, I don't think mom should have died, and I don't understand why. She was a good mom to me and my two brothers, and a good wife to my father. She did what she had to do for us kids. Sweet. I know. How sad. In 2001, Lawrence Singleton died of cancer in a prison hospital at the North Florida Reception Center reception center okay at the north retention? florida reception center retention huh? center i don't know i don't know that's what it says in stark florida even at this time mary vincent revealed that she didn't feel safe or relieved like she thought she might however she did say that seeing how relieved her sons were after singleton's death gave her a sort of closure that she really needed and allowed her to move on the best that she could so this is obviously all around a tragic case mm-hmm. from the horrific attack on Mary to the completely preventable murder of Roxanne. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to end on a positive note because also a 15 year old girl survived the unthinkable Yeah, and Mary Vincent has made a very successful life for herself. And I do think that that should be honored. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you where she's at now. Okay. So, After her attack, Mary admitted she wasn't sure if she'd be able to live a normal life again, but was able to go through psychotherapy to begin coping with her trauma. She was quoted once as saying, He destroyed everything about me, my way of thinking, my way of life, holding on to innocence, and I'm still doing everything I can to hold on. I've broken bones thanks to my nightmares. I've jumped up and dislocated my shoulder, just trying to get out of bed. I've cracked ribs and smashed my nose. I have now obtained the long-overdue psychological counseling to help me get over my nightmares and fear. Yet, sometimes I still feel like that confused 15-year-old runaway trapped in the body of a 35-year-old mother of two. Mm. No one should ever have to go through what I went through 
or what the children of Roxanne Hayes will go through without their mother. As I mentioned earlier, Mary began using prosthetic arms within just two weeks of her attack. However, what makes this even more amazing is that she used spare parts from broken down electronics such as refrigerators and stereo systems to modify and customize her arms on her own. Yeah, little tinkerer. I know. And she made her own custom prosthetics specifically to use while bowling. (gasps) Oh! No, Mary, how cute is that? Um, Wow. I know. She attended the University of Nevada in Las Vegas and began a career in art. At the start of her work with art, Mary reported that she couldn't even draw a straight line, saying, even with a ruler, I would mess it up. This is Mm. something that woke up after the attack. My artwork has inspired me and given me self-esteem. Now Mary works with chalk pastels to create what she calls powerfully upbeat women, like female action figures. She also takes commissions for individual and family portraits. She married a man named Tom, and even though their marriage ended in divorce, she shares two adult sons with Tom, who she clearly, like, loves so much. She is now a well-known advocate for necessary changes in legislature in support of victims, As I mentioned earlier, after his premature release from prison, the Singleton Bill was launched into action to prevent monsters like Lawrence Singleton from being released back into the public. Mary was, of course, a very strong advocate for the passing of this bill and others like it. In 1998, she went to Washington, D.C. to testify in favor of a bill called No Second Chances for Murderers, Rapists, or Child Child Molesters Act. She recounted her attack nice. to members of Congress. Hmm. Nice. It's a good, good, uh, straightforward name. Yep. She recounted her attack to members of Congress and assured them that Singleton's lenient sentence is what allowed him to kill Roxanne Hayes. Yeah. But unfortunately, this bill died in committee. I don't know how you get a bill like that and you're like, eh, no. Yeah. But, but I'm not in Congress. <laughs> um, when testifying against Lawrence Singleton for the second time during his murder trial, Mary spoke about how she was able to find healing by becoming a victim's right activist, and now she gives motivational speeches about all she's been able to overcome. Lastly, Mary founded the Mary Vincent Foundation to help other survivors of violent crimes, and much like the self-assured women we see depicted in Mary's art, she has always been a fighter for herself and for anyone who needs one. Very nice. Yeah. yeah, I think, like, important to know that... Oh, sorry. Um, Roxanne probably could have, probably would have been just as impressive. Yeah, I agree. I found... It's very hard, like I said, to find any information about Roxanne. It's also hard to find pictures of her. And there was this one article I found, like, in from a newspaper when the murder happened that was titled she has a name and the biggest picture on the cover was of her and her daughter but then it had a bunch of pictures around it of like her mug shots over the years rude and i was like what the heck yeah get out of here you defeated the point um but yeah like she just the things her family said about her the things like that the people who helped her care for her children said about her like her social worker her children's teachers like 
everyone had such amazing things to say about her. And I do think that her murder specifically was preventable Mm -hmm. because he got out early. Mm -hmm. However, if he had stayed the full 14 years and he didn't die in prison, Mm -hmm. like, by the time he got out, he would have killed someone else. Yeah. To be honest. Like, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, So, my sources were... Uh, my Favorite Murder episode, a Morbid episode, a Crime Junkie episode, an episode of I Survived, the Mary Vincent Wikipedia page, the Lawrence Singleton Wikipedia page, an All That's Interesting article by Austin Harvey, a Blurred Bylines article by Sherry Rose, a CBS News article by Lisa Halua, and that Medium article um, that I mentioned earlier. Very nice. Thank you for that one. That was... I feel like you didn't have a lot of questions or comments during this episode. I didn't. It was pretty straightforward. Yeah. I think this is, like... I think this is, like, one of the first ones, at least that I've done, that it's, like, very clear Yeah. what happened. But, yeah, I just, like, every time I hear Mary Vincent's story, I'm like, that's crazy. Like, Mm -hmm. I cannot believe. Like, I, at 26, would not have had the strength to make it through that. No. But then I also think, especially as I was researching it, like, once I realized, like, you know, I've heard this story, and I know he killed someone, but I don't know what happened to her or who she was. So while, like I said, I have heard Mary Vincent's story on three major true crime podcasts on a TV show, Roxanne Hayes' story is very unknown and Mm -hmm. underreported on. So Mm -hmm. even if you have heard Mary Vincent's story, I hope that... That was new. Yeah. Change. And very important, and honestly. Um, like, that neighbor could have saved, like, a lot of people. You know, like, who knows yeah. how many other people passed yeah. or could have and, been like, killed. like, talked about two men drove by mm-hmm. Mary and, like, thought she looked scary. Like, imagine how scary that was for that neighbor. And also, like, at that point, he knew who that man was. Mm-hmm. And had been neighbors with him for some time it probably was even scarier to have to call the police in that situation yeah but thankful he did um and i think like i'm glad that mary really recognizes roxanne's life and legacy and like how challenging it has to be for her children to live without her but like Mm -hmm. also like that they're gonna grow up and do amazing things too yep all right no okay I've got a serial killer for us next week. Mm. Have we done a serial killer yet? We have not. I don't think. Mm. Very exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. I'm excited. (laughs) It's been fun to research. Yeah. See you then. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.